In this podcast, I'm going to be revising the Conflict and Tension Unit from the AQA GC History Course. And I'm going to be revising the Conflict and Tension Unit that covers the interwar years, 1918 um, to 1939. In this first podcast, I'm going to not start with the Treaty of Versailles, but I'm going to go back before the Treaty of Versailles um, was negotiated and look at a bit of the um, the unit that some students find a little bit tricky. So I'm going to recap how the First World War uh, actually ended. I'm going to revise Woodrow Wilson's 14 points and then going to revise the terms of the armistice of November 1918 that ended the war. So this is the very first point within the first bullet point of the AQA um, syllabus. So the first of the three points I want to uh, look at is how did the First World War actually end? Because understanding this is really, really crucial to your understanding later on of things like the Paris Peace Conference, the Treaty of Versailles, the terms of the treaty, and so on. So when we think about the First World War, we tend to think of the First World War, particularly on the Western Front, as being um, a stalemate, as essentially a war between two sides who were not able to actually defeat each other, where one side really didn't move that that far. Um, the two sides were kind of locked into this war of attrition where neither side could really win. Now, there is a degree of truth to that um, description. Certainly in 1914, 1915, 1916, there is um, a sense in which the two sides are kind of cancelling each other um, out. One side is not able to get on top of the, the other side. It is, to use that word from chess, a bit of a stalemate. However... In the second half of the war, the second half of 1916 into 1917 and on into 1918, there are some really crucial uh, turning points that are in the war that bring the First World War to an end. In 1916, the Allies developed the tank, which is an absolutely crucial bit of military technology, so um, um, useful in that muddy terrain when, when you think about the, um, the, the, what the Western Front um, was like. In 1917, the decision of the United States to join the war, having not uh, joined the war in 1914, having been neutral for the first three years of the war, in 1917, um, America finally joins the war and joins on the Allies' side, which in terms of the Western Front, that's the fighting in France and Belgium um, that Britain was involved in during the First World War, it now tips the balance in favour of the Allies, in favour of Britain, France and America and against the Germans. The winter of 1917 and 1918 is something that I've talked about in one of my other podcasts in the Germany um, part of the course. In the winter of 1917 and 1918, the British naval blockade really starts to bite British ships were blocking food and other supplies from getting in um, to Germany. Food levels were becoming really, really short inside Germany um, in 1918. This was leading to starvation and would lead to a social and economic crisis that would lead to something far bigger um, later on in 1918. In the spring of 1918, the German army launches one final attack uh, on, on the Western Front, the spring offensive of, of, of spring 1918. And this attack, this offensive, is a failure. And the Allies are then able to turn the tables on the German army and force the German army back towards the German border. And this is a huge turning point. This is the difference that America joining the war uh, uh, makes. 
Germany is now aware that there is a real risk that it might lose the war. They're being pushed back in the, on the Western Front. Their allies are starting to surrender and their economy back home is starting um, to collapse. So key turning point now in September of 1918, the German military leadership, General Hindenburg, General Ludendorff, approach the allies looking for some kind of agreement to end the war. And it's really important that I reiterate that point. It's the German military that starts to approach the Allies. It's not the Allies going to the Germans asking for peace. It's the Germans going to the Allies. And that shows you very clearly the weakness that the German government was in in September 1918. It shows you the clear weakness of the German military by September 1918. Now, the Germans were very much aware that which the member of the Allies that they approached, how they would be treated would be very different. In January of 1918, Woodrow Wilson, the American president, had issued the 14 points. The German government wanted, when they went looking for peace, they wanted a peace settlement that would be based on Woodrow Wilson's 14 points, which I will go over um, in a minute. Now, the 14 points, from the German point of view, was a kind of more reasonable approach to how a peace settlement might be made. That if the Germans simply approached the French government, the French government would probably ask for something really quite um, harsh or expect a very, very harsh peace settlement. Whereas America might be a little bit more lenient towards the Germans. The 14 points might be something that the Germans could broadly accept. They wouldn't like it, but they could basically live with it. Then in October 1918, the German Navy mutinies. I've covered this in one of my other podcasts on Germany in, in the war. And this German naval mutiny then triggers the German revolution of November 1918, in which the Kaiser's government is brought down, the Kaiser is forced to abdicate, and a new government led by a socialist, Friedrich Ebert, comes to peace. And Ebert wants um, to, to make peace um, really, really quickly. So on the 11th of November 1918, an armistice is finally signed. And as I said, from the German point of view, they were hoping that a future peace settlement would be based roughly on Woodrow Wilson's 14 points. So what I'd like to do now, before I look at the terms of the armistice, is just quickly go back and look at what the 14 points were. So the 14 points were issued in January 1918. So I am kind of now going back about 10 months uh, in 1918. They were issued by the US President Woodrow Wilson, who is often described as an idealist, as someone who believed in a better and more peaceful world. Now, that I think is, is open to some, um, some argument and, and some debate. But one thing I will say about the 14 points is that there are some really important themes that really, really do... Um, stand out. Now, don't worry, as GCSE students, you do not need to know all 14 of the 14 points, but you just need to know, really, I would say, four key themes of those 14 points. The first theme that runs throughout is Wilson's desire to avoid wars in the future and to ensure peace. This is why Wilson has the reputation for being an idealist, someone who believes in a better world. Wilson wanted to end the kind of secret diplomacy, the secret making of treaties and alliances that had happened in the run-up to the First World War that had in, in, in itself led to the First World War. He wanted 
countries to disarm. He wanted them to reduce um, their, their armies and navies. And famously, he wanted a new organisation to help ensure peace around the world. And that, of course, was the organisation that would go on to be called the League of Nations. This was Wilson's great idea, that war could be avoided if countries were all part of one organisation that would talk to each other, that was based on the idea of cooperation, where the independence of countries would be protected. If one country was attacked, all the other countries in the League of Nations would come to that country's defence. This is called collective security. So that's the first thing, avoiding war and ensuring peace. The second theme of Wilson's 14 points is the principle of national self-determination. Again, a very important and much, um, much argued over concept. National self-determination is simply the right of people to choose for themselves what nation, what country, what state they are part of. If you look at a map of Europe um, in 1914, what really stands out is just how few countries there were in Europe at, the, at this time compared to, say, a map of Europe um, today where there are lots and lots of very small countries, particularly in Eastern and Southeastern Europe. When the First World War broke out in 1914, there was the huge Russian Empire, there was the Austro-Hungarian Empire, there was the German Empire, and there was the Turkish Ottoman Empire. And of course, Britain and France in Western Europe had huge empires um, overseas, had huge um, colonial empires. So Europe was really made up of five or six really big um, empires, and I haven't even mentioned the Italian Empire either, so perhaps six or seven great empires. Wilson's idea was that people should be allowed to choose which country they were part of. So if people in Poland didn't want to be part of the uh, Austrian Empire or the German Empire or the Russian Empire, they should be allowed to become independent and have their own country, Poland. The third um, theme of Wilson's 14 points is the idea of free trade. Wilson was obviously uh, very much aware of the way that Britain used their navy to dominate the world. He was also aware of the fact that European countries had used tariffs to protect their own industry from international trade. Wilson wanted freedom of the seas and he wanted the removal of, quote, all economic barriers. This means ending tariffs. So in, in, in essence, what Wilson wanted was free trade. And then the fourth and final theme is that in order to ensure that the war could end and peace could be achieved, German troops would have to fully evacuate, fully withdraw from Belgium and France, and the territory of Alsace-Lorraine would be returned to France. This was territory that Germany had taken in war in 1871. France had wanted for 40 years to get that territory back. Alsace-Lorraine would be returned um, by the Germans to France. So those are the four kind of th key themes of the 14 points. And that's what the Germans thought the peace settlement was going to look like. And that's why this bit of the course is so crucial for what comes later on. You can only decide if the peace treaty is fair. You can only decide if the Germans were right to be angry if you understand what the Germans thought they were going to get um, in 1918. So we now fast forward to November 1918. It's the 11th of November 1918. It's 11 o'clock in the morning and the armistice is now coming into effect. The war is over. What had the Germans actually signed up to when they signed the armistice, when they signed the 
um, the ceasefire because that's what an armistice is. It's just an agreement to stop fighting. It is a ceasefire. It's not the same as a peace treaty. So if we have a look at the terms of the um, uh, of the armistice, again, I stress the Germans asked for this. It wasn't the Allies asking the Germans. It was the Germans asking the Allies. The Germans made four major concessions to the Allies. And what's crucial here is the Allies made no concessions to the Germans. What that tells us is the Germans were desperate to, to, to end the war. So let's now look at the concessions, the giveaways that the Germans had to make in order to bring the war to an end in 1918. Firstly, the Germans agreed to pull their troops out of France, Belgium and Luxembourg within 15 days. Now that, that was an essential thing that was needed in order to get the French to sign, um, agree to an armistice. And if you, if you think about that, that also seems to fit quite closely with Wilson's 14 points as well, evacuating troops from France and Belgium. Secondly, and more humiliatingly for the Germans, they had to hand over a significant amount of military uh, material to the Allies. For example, 5,000 bits of heavy artillery, 25,000 machine guns, 1,700 aeroplanes had to be handed over um, to the Allies. Again, you could perhaps see that as fitting in with Wilson's 14 points in terms of the idea of disarmament. Thirdly, Germany had to give up Alsace-Lorraine. Again, that fits very much with the 14 points giving Alsace-Lorraine uh, back to France. And fourthly, and this one really is quite significant, I think, Allied forces would go into German territory up to the River Rhine, that's in Western Germany, bordering France, and they would occupy that territory up until 1930. So not only were German forces being pulled out of the countries that they had invaded in the First World War, the Allied uh, militaries would occupy part of Germany's western border area, the Rhineland, up until 1913. Up until 1930, sorry. Now, I think it's really important now just to stop and think about what does this actually represent, these, these four concessions, because... It's often pointed out by people that Germany never surrendered at the end of the First World War. That Germany made an armistice, a ceasefire. Essentially, therefore, they didn't lose the war. And there are people in Germany later on in the 20s and 30s who try to um, play that kind of narrative that Germany never really lost the war. Now, while that in the technical sense is true, the armistice is not a surrender. If we just go back and look at those four concessions that Germany made, a complete withdrawal of their troops, giving up Alsace-Lorraine, allowing the Allies to occupy the Rhineland, handing over significant amounts of military material, that doesn't really look like just a ceasefire and nothing else. That really looks like a surrender agreement. Now, it's important to stress that what was signed on the 11th of November 1918 was not a surrender agreement. But when you look at those four concessions, it is a surrender agreement really in all but name. So the armistice really, really was a, a defeat for the Germans. Um, it, it, was, it was in no sense just a, a, a if you like, a draw, uh, an end to the war with both sides making giveaways. That really wasn't the case at all. The Germans made major concessions. The Allies made none. The Germans were desperate um, to end the war. So you can see why the Allies, in effect, interpreted what happened um, as a surrender and not just simply a ceasefire.